welcome back ladies and gents So you are listening to Opera Omnia This is season number 2, episode number 3 Continuing our look at the body of work of one Peter Strickland We are swinging into the penultimate episode in this series Following his feature movie releases Looking at the Duke of Burgundy from 2014 Joining me as always on season 2 is my resident guest host He is... Someone kind of special and near and dear to my heart. He is, of course, the phenomenal Richard Glenn Smith. How are you doing, sir? Hi. <laughs> Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing really, really, really well. Um, I'm, I'm really interested to talk about this movie, uh, which oh, yeah. features no men. And I think what it requires <laughs> is a man to explain what's happening in it. So... <laughs> Yes, we shall we shall mansplain this man's movie about women. Yeah, this man's movie about what women do when they're <laughs> by themselves. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested because we we kind of we'd spoken up about this one on the last episode, kind of as a, a precursor, saying, "Listen, you'd seen this one before. I had certainly seen this one a few times." So I was looking forward to coming back to it, but this is once again charting the Strickland journey into his vast love of 70s European cinema. Uh, this time through the the lens of some of those uh, slightly naughtier uh, movies that, that made an appearance. Uh, what was interesting about this one, and I think I noted it the first time I ever reviewed it, is a surprisingly erotic movie which doesn't really show you much. Um, if you know what no, I mean. No, like, no, you, you, yeah. You're not seeing much flesh here. Uh, throughout this movie and weirdly that's I don't, I don't know it's, it's surprisingly I don't know whatever floats your boat is what I'm saying hey, if if Jess Franco had made this film <laughs> it would have been called The Duke of Labias we recently for doing the nasty uh, watched um, and it's the first time I'd watched it in a, in a while uh, watched his um, The Demon is it The Demon? yeah The Demon his remake uh, his essential rip off of Ken Russell's The Devils yes and it yes. is just wall to wall tits, like honestly, almost from the way the camera rolls, it's like tits from the start to the end. See that one? I, that one broke me. I could not get through it. Um, it's long. I'm gonna, it's a long. I'm gonna out myself. I'm gonna out myself as I'm not the biggest fan of Ken Russell's The Devils. Oh uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't want to watch Jess Franco do it. Yeah, and then not as good. <laughs> I, I've already seen that two-hour epic he did. He did one, I believe. Oh, I'm gonna mix this up. It might be just called Justine. Oh, right. Or based it's, on it's, the, is that based on the, the Desaad book? Yeah, it's one yeah, of his yeah. Desaad movies, and it's a it's 124 minutes. Oh God. And I, and after that, I was like, I didn't want to watch him try to do anything historical drama for maybe for the rest of my life. So his, his, I'm sure the demons is great. Yeah, sure he's it's great. He's got as as the thing about it is like the the, the more we dug into the the interesting facts about it was it was on the tier three band list, which was the if the police saw it, they would confiscate it, but you didn't you weren't brought up on any charges or anything. It was essentially rounded up and burned in the UK. Um, and the version that they were doing that to was the version that had been cut by about half an hour, so half, half an hour of cuts, which was pretty much all the sex scenes. So, <laughs> which is pretty much the only reason you would want to watch that movie. <laughs> like, they took all, well... they took all the, the, the nudity out and then left just the painfully drab because it's a lot of just guys going this there could be a witch I think she's a witch 
<laughs> Could this woman be a witch? Um, like literally all that, and they still banned it. Like, I love, I love Jess Franco neuter movies. Yeah, like uh, the erotic kill, the version mm-hmm. of female vampire mm-hmm. that has some nudity because, of course, you'd have no film without it. Yeah, but all of the sex, all of the masturbation, you're just left with the weird, obtuse dubbing. Yes, the English dub on that one is really out there. <laughs> The beautiful music, and then it's 70 minutes or less. It's mm-hmm. awesome. I love erotic kill because I'm a neuter. <laughs> cut my cut my bits off before I started watching his movies. I knew better. <laughs> it's just such a like it's such a bleat. But I think like linking this back to this, I think Peter Strickland shows like see if you're not like a a really kind of not scummy, scummy's maybe a bad word, uh, a really leery, exploitative sort of director, you can make something which still at times feels a bit taboo and risky um, without necessarily showing anything, just by clever sound design, uh, camera work and intent from two amazing leading actresses, you can pretty much get the point across without seeing nipples, um, which I think is a, is a gift uh, that's sadly missed in a lot of movies where like that they'll just like take her top off and we don't have to worry about the dialogue because no one's listening. Um, and this movie is the other way around. There is there is a scene, a erotic scene in here where she comes in in her pajamas and eats cake. Um, oh yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I love this movie. <laughs> um, so yeah, this was this was only followed up the Berry and Sim Studio, and we obviously talked about how. When he swung in to do Barbarian Sound Studio, he'd finally found a bit of funding because Catelyn Varga had been relatively well received by uh, kind of British critics who were then wondering how he had to go away and make this money, uh, this movie himself, without any lottery, you know, film grant money from the UK. And they were like, "We need to invest in this guy." And this is kind of the continuation of that. This is his, his follow-up, and. Yeah, we're going to get into it. This movie made for about a million pounds, uh, which is... Oh, let me do the quick... I think it's about one and a half million. Uh, maybe just under one and a half million dollars. So not a lot of money. <laughs> and it looks like... It looks like a lot of money was spent on this movie. Yeah. It's so beautiful oh, to look yeah. at. And when you read some of the trivia, uh, you know, like the they basically they ran out of budget. So they stencil hand-painted... Those uh, the blue and white tiles in the bathroom and the kitchen, and like like cut 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 corners as much as possible to <laughs> save cash, um, and it it works. It really it has. There's a, a vibrancy to to the, the, the particular look and set design in the movie that mm. doesn't feel that way at all. Like the dusty books are not really dusty books. It's not like it's that sort of level of that that movie magic and fakery that that I kind of am fascinated by, that you can make something look a lot more expensive than you can by positioning a camera a certain way and, and adding a layer of dust. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're, we're going to get into it anyway. Now, truth be told, uh, we are doubling up today in our recordings, so, um, and that means that listeners will get the last two episodes of this season this month. Um, so Duke of Burgundy, we're recording this on a Saturday, which means this episode will go out on the Monday, and then... Two weeks after that, you will get the final episode, which is In Fabric, which is the one I am most curious about 
throughout this entire season because it's the only one you hadn't seen. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like you know, like from his modern mm-hmm. his modern movies. So I'm very excited, and we are going to get to that. So I suppose what we'll do first is we will take a very short break, and uh, the listeners out there will hear the luscious uh, trailer for Duke of Burgundy. When we come back, we're going to get right into it right after this. You're late. Sorry. Welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for The Duke of Burgundy. This one was... Production year was 2014. It was released officially in the UK in 2015. Written and directed by, of course, Pierre Strickland. A relatively sparse cast here. We have uh, <laughs> Chiara Diana, uh, Kata Barched, Sidi Babak-Knudsen, um, mm. I'm sure I've pronounced that wrong. Uh, Monica Swin and some other folks uh, who play very minor characters in this movie. Um, the synopsis, and I absolutely detest the synopsis on IMDb. I think it's one of the just the blandest two-dimensional um, shenanigans in the history of the world. It literally says, A woman who studies butterflies and moths tests the limits of her relationship with her lesbian lover. The end. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, the, the thing is, speaking about Jess Franco, you could give Jess Franco that one line and he could make a two and a half hour movie of that. <laughs> he could make a friggin' uh, <laughs> a decade of movies. I think that. this is his catalogue of movies. I actually think that might be the full, the, the full sub name of his biography. <laughs> <laughs> the Jess Franco story. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think it doesn't necessarily do credit to the, the complexity of the relationship here. Um, and also, it's like talking about testing the limits, I have a theory about this movie, and we're, we can get into it in a bit, a bit of detail later on. Um, you'd seen this before. Did you see this when this came out, by any chance? Um, roundabouts. Um, it was, as soon as it was available for rent... Mm. 
on disc back when I still got discs from good old Netflix. Uh, <laughs> I think that's similar to my Barbarian Sound mm. Studio story. Um, I'd heard nothing but good things about this. And everybody was r raving about it, how it was a, a new, quote-unquote, new Jess Franco film. So I was mm -hmm. hip deep in Jess Franco and had to check it out. So I rented it pretty soon after it came out. Yeah, I mean, the comparisons were straight into Jess Franco. I think that's because of all those kind of Euro-eroticism directors, he's probably the most well-known, and I think it's because he has the most movies. That's pure, not, not, nothing to do with quality. It's like, I have made all the movies. So I will be the name that first comes up in a Google search. Um, it, it weirdly reminded me more of, what's the French guy? Uh, uh, Jean Roland. Yeah, reminded more more of Roland than it did necessarily. Yeah, than it did necessarily Franco. Um, but I mean, even then, it's taking those elements. There was a there was a there was a vibrant kind of area of cinema, mostly kind of centered around France. Interestingly enough, which is where most of Franco's money was financed from. It was all French. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was all French money coming over to Spain. Um, so there's there's a, a kind of there's a, there's a working there, and it's clear from the start that he's done his he's done his homework like when we talked about Barbarian Sim Studio the story that came out of that was he was late to Jallo but had filmed it through Sim Tracks more than anything else loved the Sim Tracks went back and filmed the films associated with the Sim Tracks got interested in Jallo made Barbarian Sim Studio I'm not entirely sure if the journey to make a movie like this is not something similar um, because they, they, weirdly enough, sit in their own little pockets of European cinema. The ero erotic stuff was viewed, in a lot of respects, with the same furore that the the kind of violent Jalo stuff did by, you know, um, purveyors of morality. <laughs> mm, <laughs> you know, yes. of you know, on one side it's all violence, so we can't have that, and on the other side it's all sex, and we can't have that either. What we want is vanilla pudding and lots of it. Uh, we don't want anything, you know, that that you know is pushing any level of extremity uh, towards sexuality or violence. Um, so it's interesting that he follows up a movie which feels like a Jallo without being a Jallo to make a, a, a kind of Euro erotic movie minus the sex. Uh, yes. So like it's kind of it's kind of like. What Strickland is really, really, really good at is taking the building blocks of a type of cinema, taking them aside, and then taking the main component, the main component that we associate with that, and remove it, but still able to make the movie regardless. And I think that's the big, uh, the big achievement here. Um, above all else, it helps that he got two phenomenal lead actresses. Oh here. my god! Because yeah. I, I mean, I I can't stress enough how how phenomenal their performances are. Well, it's a scathing indictment once again that you get to the end of like an awards year, and because you're involved with the genre cinema, I did the quotation marks so that no one can see uh, genre cinema. You're not even given a look over, but you could easily easily go either way. Um, in terms of leading actress or supporting actress for either role, because you know, those are interchangeable depending on what side you're looking the story from, um, yes, and put them up exactly. for awards. I think they're I think they're they're great about this one. What what was your like? Because you're obviously coming back a couple of years watching it again. Those performances still are pretty phenomenal, are they not? 
Yes. Oh my God. Yes. There's this kind of a movie plays with that thing where we're going to make one character unlikable Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a while. And then we're going to try to explain to you where this character is coming from. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to turn the table and make the other character, you know, start getting their revenge, but maybe they're going to take it too far. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have this like constant back and forth between it, it, depending on how you feel about, you know, each character individually, you could turn on this movie. And oh, go, yeah. oh, fuck this. Like, I don't like this. That she's a bitch. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I'm rather susceptible to getting really emotional about, um, uh, I'm going to, for lack of a better term, dominant, submissive, Ah, relationships Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where (laughs) the dominant person makes me want to jump in the movie and strangle them to death (laughs) not not in an erotic way in a i gotta get this person dead as quick as possible i'm very (laughs) angry so i you know i I, i'm learning to to express myself through violence (laughs) now this is a this is a tightrope act and i'm very curious when we get to like the end of this Mm. plot talking what you think the ending is all about with this yeah but uh yeah this these these actresses man they're oh, they were robbed in every award season yeah yeah i think the the, the big thing that says so the the kind of relationship mark you're talking about here specifically is when we first meet uh, knudsen's character cynthia who is essentially playing the role of um you know dominant mistress uh, to chara diana's evelyn who is assuming the role of kind of maid, like cleaner of the house, uh, when we first meet them. And it's very, very clear straight away that Cynthia is like this dislikable character. Everything that Evelyn does is not right. Um, In fact, she's going out her way to find things that she's not done right so she can berate her and then ultimately punish her. And then within the first kind of big group of that, we realise, all oh, right, this is a this is a relationship. Like they, they know each other, and they're they're acting out their fantasies. But the the thing that I love about it, and you you kind of touching it, and a really interesting way to spark this up is for the first third of this movie, um, Cynthia, played by Knudsen, is seen as being you know very very strong willed, a very confident character. Mm-hmm. And then the movie, just through the inclusion of uh, essentially a story card with what her role is, spells out that actually this is not, you know, she's not the dominant one in this particular relationship. It's actually Evelyn that's the dominant one. She scripts out everything and Cynthia is performing the role of, you know, the dominatrix in this this scenario here. Um, because she loves Evelyn and that's what Evelyn wants so she's performing it and what I love about it is the small like we revisit a lot of the same setup scenes but and it ultimately leads towards the end where one of the scenes she can't get through it towards the end she's she's in tears um, which I think is like a, a, I mean it's an achievement in itself like when you see oh, that yeah. you actually feel so like wounded for the character that she's you know the fact she's trying to get through it and she she can't do it but we see these these small cracks in the armor whether it's at the first time we see her 
like, and it explains very quickly why she drinks a lot of water, uh, and one of the greatest <laughs> reveals in cinema history. Uh, but she's, oh, you know, no. very, very, very confidently typing in all the rest, and you know, like very like checking her watch and and whatnot. And as we work through this movie, we realise that things are all done on a schedule because Evelyn wants them done on yes. a schedule, um, and they have to be to fulfil for all intents and purposes her fantasy which grows like most sexual fantasies grow over time anyway you add something mm-hmm. else in you add, it's like cooking you add a little bit extra spice I'll try I'll try <laughs> the tarragon this time not used that in a while um, you know like it's that sort of idea of like mixing it up keeping things spicy so to speak and it's clear that there is a certain point where it goes beyond necessarily what Cynthia is comfortable doing um, yeah and she continues doing with doing it to the detriment, ultimately, of the relationship. Or does it? Because, like I say, I have a theory at the end. Um, I, I actually have a theory about uh, their their game, their game, the one yes. that's so tightly scripted. Uh-huh. Um, I think that happened to Cynthia. Mm-hmm. I think this whole thing, the, the reason it's so precise and the reason it's so scripted and everything, it has to be a certain way. And the reason she's so obsessed about it, I think she's trying to recreate an incident from her past. Probably. Well, you tend to find that that's a lot of your, a lot of your, um, a lot, a lot of sexual fantasies come from that. It's usually a yeah. memory or an experience that you can't quite explain, but it's tied almost intrinsically with, you know, puberty. Like, you, like something happens mm-hmm. at a particular time where your sexual interests are, are starting to form and it's fused. Um, and if the worst case scenario is a little bit of bondage play, that is fine. If it involves murder, <laughs> like it does with serial killers, there's maybe an yes. issue there. Maybe an I'm issue. Just about the same. <laughs> <laughs> there's maybe a little issue there. Um, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not. I, 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 it wouldn't surprise me because they do start to take a specific turn into. I mean, she obviously likes being restrained. Um, she like it comes to the point where she actually wants to be like encased in a box. Um, and at first they're looking at this as a way to kind of continue their relationship on. They look to get a bed constructed. Oh, um, and the woman that comes out to do this is amazing. Um, it's like the, the, the kind of the carpenter woman who's paid by a Fatma Mohammed, uh, who is uh, just like wickedly like intense when she's yes. talking about all the different options you can have. Mm. And then like, like, like as mentioned, um, and some of the things we talked about in the, in the preamble as well. This is a movie that is, is predominantly... Well, in fact, it is. It's an entire movie of women. There are no men. In, well, actually, there's, it's an entire movie of women in mannequins, uh, which yes. leads into In Fabric, which I think is maybe speaking more to do with Strickland than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, like, in some of the scenes where... Because you, you get a, a lot of the... The whole kind of kind of sexual relationship is blossoming over this uh, period of time where um, this butterfly group meets um, and can discuss during the summer, it closes over winter, so it's it's kind of their relationship very much like a caterpillar blossoming into a butterfly is maturing mm-hmm. and changing over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a, a bit of, you know, a bit of, a, a bit of a connection there between the two and you, you, you keep going and, and moving along and, you know, things start to get a bit more complicated and th- this woman is basically there to talk to them about the bed but she's also there to say that, you know, this isn't the only bed that she's built in the area um, 
which makes you think, are, are, are you know, is every household a little bit like this? Yes. Um, which this once is, again, this is normal. This yeah, is normal. Which once again, I, got, I am fine with. <laughs> so, I got so panicked. I when she was describing the bed mm-hmm. to her, like I was getting panicked. Like I was getting like, please don't buy this bed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm freaking out. All I could think about was that stupid bed. Mm-hmm. And like being locked in there, and I was getting really freaked out. Yeah, it's like there's a there's a particular. I mean, like there there are particular um, sexual proclivities that I can kind of see where it's coming from, and others that I my, my brain just doesn't relate to it. And that's one of them. And I think Cynthia's in the same boat behind that because when they can't get the bed built in time, Evelyn goes hunting about the house and finds a, an old chest, which they then use instead. And Cynthia has this, like, kind of... She, she starts to have, like, almost panicking dreams that she's left her in there too long. And then what I love is there's a scene later on in the movie where it looks like the relationship is about to break, essentially. It's like, Cynthia's kind of pushed things. Uh, but once again, or has she? Uh, Cynthia's pushed things so far with the, like, rejecting the safe word. And one of my favourite lines in this movie overall because I have a safe word which is panastri uh, and she's like she says panastri um, after she's baked the cake and she's putting her back and uh, yeah. Cynthia says oh if we could all just say panastri to end our torments and it's this <laughs> well, you, you, you know like you, you've you've turned it you've turned it you've turned it now so you, you're now at the point where you're like well this is is this what you want well I'm going to I'm going to keep going with this which is not Evelyn's fantasy, so it becomes you know, it becomes something slightly malicious once again, or does it? Um, but like, when she comes into the room and Cynthia's essentially sitting there with her, her legs kind of spread, wearing her, her kind of dom outfit, um, the camera pans in on her, her crotch which she's, she's all dressed in black and then it carries through into this waking, like dr- vision dream of Cynthia opening the box and just a skeleton, <laughs> Evelyn's skeleton's in there because she'd been left in there oh, too long. Man. And it's fucking yeah. horrific. Um, and it just, it's like one of these things where we're going to show you this, we're not going to explain it. We don't have to explain it because, mm. uh, you know, like, we're, we're trust. I trust Strickland to take us through this journey. Um, and essentially, we, we kind of go beyond. Like, because like, Cynthia is concerned that because Evelyn's younger as well, that eventually she will become too old and she mentions herself the clothes that she's forced to wear like specifically the corsets are bad for her one of the reasons she's got a bad back um you know like and she's really concerned that there is no relationship out with the rituals that they do and if she can't do that anymore then you know it's only a matter of time before evelyn goes elsewhere and evelyn on the other hand is trying to reassure Cynthia that she is actually in love with her, regardless of what they do. But the way she does it, though, is not the way which you would expect from someone who was like you would say someone, well, "I can take it or leave it," which is kind of what she says. Except what she says is, "Well, we could take it or leave it, or we could do something, you know, less challenging." Which still, to me, makes me think that Evelyn still needs that. She still needs that little that kink in there for for things. To work, but my well, yeah, yeah. She, she, you know, depending on how you feel about the ending, she seems to get her way. Yeah, she, she, she does, does yeah. get her way. But what does it mean, you know, yeah. by the end? Yeah, what does it mean by the end? And I, I've always like the first 
two times I watched this, I thought it. Uh, you know, I thought I had a good handle on the ending. This time watching it, I, I've come from it from a slightly different perspective. And my different perspective, and I don't know how right or wrong I am, I would love to pick Strickland's brain for like five minutes just oh, to yeah. find out um, if, if I'm on a right read. But what I, what I came away with at the end, this time watching it, is everything we've seen is part of it. Like, so, like, absolutely everything is part of the cycle of their relationship, which will reset every summer. Um, ah. So, like, every, like the, the point in this, you know, the point in their particular relationship where things break and, you know, Cynthia starts, you know, taking a, more, a far more dominant, assertive part of what she's doing and, and going out her way to break the fantasy as a way to, quote-unquote, punish Evelyn for her transgression of polishing another woman's boots. Uh, mm-hmm. I do kind of love. Did you polish her boots? Uh, <laughs> it's the fact that neighbour grasped on her. The neighbour's like she polished the boots. Uh, the old woman who doesn't speak. She just like she's always hanging out laundry as well. Like kind of looking. Yeah, that's uh, that's good old Monica Swin. <laughs> yeah, I know. This, this, From uh, the old, the old Jess Franco movies, which she once was, again uh... makes you think. Yeah, mm. did Strickland must have seen a few? He's, he's, that's annoying wink that you know oh, yeah and yeah. her name is Lorna mm-hmm. she played a Lorna in one of his movies and of course one uh, of Jess Franco's uh big 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 movies is uh freaking Lorna the Exorcist yes yes which <laughs> which if you if listeners if you've not seen out there then uh, I don't know do we recommend <laughs> ah, it's about out it's... there <laughs> If you are if you are gonna go uh, like do a deep dive in Jess mm-hmm. Franco, then you have to. Yes. Oh um, yeah. Personally, I don't like it. It's, it's not one of my favorites. Yeah, I know I, it's heresy. Easy. Um, I don't know if it is. I, I think like it's weird. Like I, like, but then again, I I sometimes have a soft spot for when Franco does like insanely cheap cannibal movies, which are just. They're not good at all, but oh my god, yes. He has that. Was well, that? I'm, I'm a big uh, Oasis of the Zombies guy. So. Oh, nice. See, like this is this is where we put our, our Franco credentials down. Uh, mm-hmm. We know what we're talking about. We've seen some movies uh, between me and Richard. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think it's ultimately it's a it's a it's a because the movie itself is talking about. I think there's a, a distinct reason why we're talking about um, butterflies pretty much throughout the entire movie and I think it's that idea of blossoming and changing yes. uh, but like you know like these things return to the earth so to speak and then repeat again so cat, mm-hmm. you know caterpillars will turn out butterflies butterflies will lay eggs they will turn out caterpillars so will turn out butterflies so my my theory on this one because we don't we have no track of time um, as to how long they've been in a relationship that my theory is the fact that like the movie starts right back with the opening fantasy makes me think that it's all a game it's like it's yeah. all a game all the way through yes. some of the parts might change but ultimately we go back to her in the the initial throes of you know being back to oh I'm just cleaning the house and then I make the mistake and, and whatnot. now we yeah. did mention there, there is a reason that she drinks a lot of water in this movie um, and I, I think it's, it's worth it's worth touching on <laughs> um mm. And a, and a bit of detail here because it is one of those elements where when I first watched this movie it was to do a recording with Bo on Duncan and Bo Come Correct way back in season one way back in 2015 and um, 
I'd said to Bo before we watched it, I was like, there's one scene in particular amongst many, many scenes which are luscious, but there's one scene in particular that I really think, like when the penny drops for you as to what is happening, your 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 jaw's gonna drop. Yeah. And um it does because like she is punished uh because she does some uh, laundry and she washes it by hand, but she forgets a a pair of silk underwear, um, which is never clear as to whether or not she deliberately does that or if Cynthia, oh. mm-hmm. you know, finds a pair and brings it. Either way, I'm cool with it. I think it's I think it's kind of fun. Um, but her, <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I think we're just having a joke. Uh, and, uh, G- it's G- consensual. It's, it's consensual. It's completely consensual. Uh, there is no safe word used either. Um, and <laughs> she, she's taken through to the, the bathroom and the door is closed and we essentially hear her to lie down and open her mouth and then we hear water filling a vessel which I mean right so she's peeing in her mouth um, which I mean like, there's no nice way to, to, to really to, to capture what's happening there uh, but we don't see it we just the sound design is incredible um, and you know the, the intensity but it's then the next scene that we see is them lying in bed like lovingly and yep. what I love about that is it like it completely diffuses the scene before, like completely diffuses it because this is them now kind of post that you yeah. know that yeah sort of, how, how would you call it? Well, Strickland is testing us. Yeah, yeah, he's I think testing the audience to see how far we can go, and he's mm-hmm. rewarding us for getting through that with something sweet. Yeah, which as you as you were saying, which I really like, is that this whole thing, everything we see, is a game. Mm-hmm punishments uh, uh cynthia's rebellion like all of this is like part of their their cyclic cy- cyclical game yeah so i'm optimistic because i'm you know just a generally optimistic person mm-hmm. that, that this is all working out because you can say by the end of the movie that you know uh cynthia is just in hell yeah and because of her love for evelyn she'll never get out of this but then you're like well i think that she's learned over the years, over this this game, which has multiple levels to mm-hmm. it, because these are two brilliant women. Oh yeah, yeah, that and they can handle these games. That's the other thing as well. Uh, like, there's a part of me that feels like because both of them study butterflies, and I think even the scene where Evelyn clumsily, you know, makes comments in the in the in the room where she's questioning mm. maybe above her station so to speak or her knowledge station um i think that's part of it as well i think you yeah. know because that ultimately that scene which can seem like well why is she still doing it leads to a scene of her being restrained on a bench um like getting sat upon on her face yeah. <laughs> uh, and then what i love about this scene is it's such a <laughs> it's such a it's such a real situation in even even though it's not like something that I imagine happens to a lot of people, the fact that she starts to squirm so she stands up for basically say, oh, I made a fool of myself. And it's the sort of conversation that couples have. <laughs> like, like, yeah. and she's like, okay, right, I'm just going to sit back down now. Okay, right, sits back down. <laughs> and then she starts squirming again. Listen, like, uh, no, I mean, did I embarrass you? Like, it's okay, don't worry about it. Like, it's just this. It's just, I, 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 I think this movie is so well done. And this is before yeah. we even start Kind of, I mean, that's the story aspect, which in itself is the reason you watch this movie. But we've also alluded to the look of this movie. And oh once again, God. one of the big things that sells this for me is Strickland manages to make everything look like 
all the money's been spent on it. His set design is is impeccable. Um, his choice of location, incredible. Uh, there's a kind of sepia, almost kind of wash over yeah. the majority of the film that works really, really well. And the only time it changes is during dream sequences, which are bathed in a kind of blue light. Which mm-hmm. I really, really like as well, and oh my God. yeah, it's, it's very luscious. There's like some of those dream sequences of Evelyn like walking blindfolded through the the room of uh, butterflies. It's just so visually like lush. It's it's yeah. difficult to kind of get your head around it, and so and it's not like expressly laid out where this movie takes place either because what we have is like we have this town which is all all women um, but everyone is from a different part of the world so there's thick accents from different characters without it being necessarily like the the you know I mean the Duke of Burgundy is a it's a British butterfly I believe um, but you know it's clearly not set in the UK and then at first I thought it might be Spain but then I'm you know because that this Franco part of me is like oh Spain obviously but it's not it's not necessarily <laughs> you know I mean it doesn't go out as way to do that and I kind of love that aspect as well it's what will make this movie feel timeless 10 years from now 15 yeah. years from now well, there's no technology out with a typewriter oh. you know what I mean well, he, fil- <laughs> he filmed in Hungary yeah, I think he films most of his stuff in Hungary, to be fair. Yeah, so, which is yeah. A, just a beautiful place in the world. And this town, the surrounding village the, that they did for the locations, it's so feels so small and so like quaint. Yeah, and the, it's so small and so quaint that they have to use mannequins to fill up their conferences about <laughs> butterflies. But the and then like you know some interior stuff shot in uh, the UK. Mm. But man, I love that freaking um that villa their, their little yeah. mansion that they live in and it's so overgrown with ivy and it's just like this it, it's a character in and of itself yeah, yeah. i love that i, I, and I, I mean do, i really the, the freaking um speaking of set design and, and like the 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 decor the freaking study with all the oh, butterflies yeah, yeah i was yeah. like did vladimir nabokov <laughs> puke in here like what the fuck it's like, like, see when someone says to me, you know, like when you get older, what was your house? What would you like your house to look like? And I'm like that, you know, I would love like a like a, a like a library room or a study. That is what I mean when I say that. <laughs> I think people mm-hmm. just like books on a shelf. I'm like, no, 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 like other things, like a chair that looks like it's older than me times ten, <laughs> uh, and you know, like, and, and it's the comfiest chair in the world because everyone's ass has been on it. Um, is that is that mm-hmm. sort of level? It's just like it's incredible set design. And then, like, compounded with the like the, the set design, the specifically the costumes. The costumes are incredible. Yeah. Um, on top of that, though, uh, and we have to touch on this because we're touching on it in every single movie, and we will definitely be touching it on the next movie, which is when I think, um, like, uh, Strickland completely peacocks up uh, with his choice. But uh, the cat's eyes score for this. Um, Dude. Is incredible. Like the score oh, of this movie yeah. is, and he, he keeps he keeps doing it. Barbarian Sound Studio was the same thing. Um, you know, a broadcast work on that was was phenomenal. The the kind of folksy music that was used in Catlin Varga, beautiful. And then it's just another level of texture. And that's, I, I think I mentioned that before, but I think like Strickland is a, a director of textures. Um, and I love that about he's a very tactile direct, director. You're oh, talking yeah. about how rooms look and feel. You'd almost smell those rooms. You could like when a character touches like a chair, you could almost 
vicariously live through that touch and know how that fabric feels and how the, how the room like how the light bays and how warm it mm. is and he's just he's he's got a very kind of textured approach to that and utilizes his score incredibly behind that and like I said before that's his background his background comes from a music background so that makes sense to me that there's so much mm. attention spent to that but he picks the most bizarre like people to, to score these movies uh, Cat's Eyes if you listen to their stuff they, they don't do a ton of scoring um, and it's an interesting choice to go with them broadcasts were the same they're very avant-garde sort of you know uh, musicians who use experimental stuff that he used for for Barbarian Sound Studio when we speak about In Fabric uh, you know uh, Cavern of Antimatter um like their stuff is all really bizarre and off the wall as well, but he he chooses as once again. I think it's it's a textural choice. I think it's like to add another layer of something that we we can like touch and feel and sense, um, and it's 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 beautiful. I don't, like, it's it's one of those things where this movie was made for a fraction of what most indie movies are made for these days. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's made for nothing, and it has. Like powerhouse performances, yeah. it has an incredible, like very and sparse script, but the and everything, is there. It, which leaves it open so yeah. everything can have a deeper meaning. Yeah. I mean, even the butterfly collecting alone could, you know, symbolize their relationship. They could symbolize them trying to freeze beauty and capture a perfect moment, mm-hmm. which, to of course, Evelyn is her fantasy that they keep repeating over and over again. Yep. And also it could be Strickland talking about filmmaking. That yes. filmmaking is kind of like butterfly collecting and you're trying to freeze these like gorgeous moments. Yeah. And since he's such a tactile director, of course he'd be into something as freaking bizarre. At, I mean, I, just, I think butterfly collecting is, is a very strange hobby. I think it takes a very specific uh, Nabokovian personality mm-hmm. to really get into it. So yeah, keep I, dropping my uh, my only literary <laughs> reference. Well, there's the, there's the, the idea of the, the book The Collector, isn't there, as well? So, which oh, is shit. a yeah, very, very dark, know. very, very dark novel about um, one man's obsession with not only collecting butterflies, but ultimately collecting a woman. Um, Miranda, I think it's the uh, it's been years since I read that book, uh, and it kind of stuck with me for a few years. Yeah, after, I remember the one. movie. I never, I never read the book. I definitely watched yeah. the the film adaptation of that. Yeah, which is the, excellent. Yeah, it's 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 one of those ones which transcends really, really well. But there's that idea as well. So a butterfly collector who essentially creates, well, cl- kidnaps a woman to create a sex slave. Essentially, the perfect woman. And he believes if he keeps them in a, a particular condition for a certain thing, very much like a butterfly, he can um, mould them to be what he wants at the end. So I, I don't know if that's playing in the back of his his brain because, you know, it's one of those things that I, as, a, as, a, as a kind of first read in the movie, I thought that's where it was going until I realised, no, actually these characters love each other. It's not... It's not abuse of power or whatnot. It's actually, you know, it's, it's love that keeps them together. Ultimately, it's basically it's basically a film version of you and Bo. <laughs> I'm going to tell him that later on today, and he will be tickled pink. Um, and I'm also going to. Are tell you going to tell him this while you're sitting on his face? Well, I'm, I'm going to. What I'm going to say to him is that like Richard would not commit to who was peeing in whose mouth, and I'll just, I'll just, I'll just leave that, I'll just leave that hanging to see, to see what, he says, to see what he says. 
Oh man, it's such a like this movie's such a good movie, and like once again, if you're charting Strickland as a director, we are like a very very short time. We are less than five years from him making Catelyn Varga to the Duke yeah. of Burgundy, yeah. like, and it is like such a monumental shift in. I just put it down to confidence. I think he's an incredibly confident director. He clearly has a vision of how he wants things to look and there is no compromise in that. It's why his movies tend to... I don't know who puts them out in the... I mean, the, the fact that Criterion has never picked up Strickland to release his movies, I think, is criminal. Because uh, I think they are definitely... The, if ever there was a modern director who's making movies specifically to appear in the Criterion collection... You know, it's, it's Peter Strickland. There's another part of me that thinks um, because he's not with them, I can afford the Blu-rays. So, <laughs> so <laughs> you have to wait for the sale to get him. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to wait for the the once a year fifty percent off sale where they come down to the normal price of everything else. But the mm. he, over in the UK is Curzon uh, Cinema, uh, the cinema chain and film company that put out. Uh, I think I've put out every movie that he's done. Um, and he has a working relationship with them, which I think works really well in that they have confidence that he will do what he wants to do, and they, you know he has confidence that they'll put out what he does. Um, so I always feel that there isn't any compromise there. And also, as bizarre the the kind of, and it's not that bizarre, but as bizarre as he is off the the kind of beaten track of movie making compared to his contemporaries who are you know churning out like here's my jello and here's my erotic thriller um or erotic drama i think like strickland weirdly enough does have a safe word you know what i mean like i think internally himself his safe <laughs> word is that he never gives you the violence that you think you're going to get or the sex that no. you think you're going to see um he, he almost denies of europe uh, in a way which I think is incredible um, and even when we like I say when we move into the next movie which is out there I'm not going to lie it's, it's a bit crazy um, oh you still don't necessarily get the violence you expect or... yeah but you you really want to remember that safe word yeah <laughs> you're going to need the safe word for the next movie <laughs> Um, I suppose, like we should, we should bring this in. Like, like I say, I think Duke of Burgundy is a, a monumental achievement in itself. Uh, it's a movie that, for all intents and purposes, shouldn't necessarily work nearly as well as it does, um, because the genre which he is being homage to, uh, none of those movies really work standalone at all, um, and none of them age that well. And I genuinely feel that twenty years from now, someone could watch the Duke of Burgundy. And sit there and go. This is like you know. This is damn near a masterpiece um, yeah. of cinema and the genre that it's in. I think he. I, I think he gets everything right. Do you have any closing words before I uh, ask the question that I know everyone is interested in hearing the answer to, as to whether or not the Duke of Burgundy dethrones Barbarian Sound Studio? Uh, any any kind of last thoughts on Duke of Burgundy? Uh, let's see. Um, well, I love the uh, Bell and Sebastian opening credits. Mm-hmm. I really feel like Cat's Eyes there, especially that opening, Just it just made me think I was watching a, a Bell and Sebastian music video. Uh, yeah, they're, but their score is out of this world. Like, And when uh, it breaks that wall of the, the non-diegetic, diegetic music, when Evelyn is actually singing mm-hmm. the lyrics to the song, I, that just blew my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, panastri, panastri, panastri. 
I just I this was uh this was I'm very happy to revisit this bad boy. Yeah, that's uh, something else. Uh, so yeah, we we need to we need to swig into this and ask the question. Um which is currently as it stands just now for both myself and Richard, we are in agreement for the time being anyway until this question is asked, as to what the best movie from Peter Strickland is thus far. And so that's taking into account Catelyn Varga, uh, the the Duke of Burgundy, and his, his um, and the name has escaped me, Barbarian Sound Studio. Um, I will put my cards down on the table first. I usually force my guests to do it. Duke of Burgundy, to me, sits atop. I, I, I think the, the, the smallest issues that I have with some of the the intent behind some of the actions in Barbarian Sound Studio, which, like, I'm, I'm glad he doesn't go into any detail to try and explain them too much. I do like the fact that it kind of has a, a kind of... There's a narrative in there where there is a disconnect and that kind of shadows the psychosis of the character or his descent in madness. I love that aspect about it. But Duke of Burgundy takes something, like I said before, which is relatively kind of sneered at, that whole style of movie making and that whole genre only has like niche academics really praising it and deep diving yeah. and brings like an air of like class to which you know you're just not going to see any other director kind of do and as a result of that it's to me it's his best movie up until this point so I put forward the Duke of Burgundy uh, as uh, his best movie uh, up to episode number three what about yourself Richard are you still doubling down with Barbarian Sim Studio, or do you have a place in your heart for Duke of Burgundy? Well, I totally agree that this is a better film. Mm. That, that Duke of Burgundy is is the better. It's it certainly has that thing he likes to do, which is break the movie, which is what started with Barbarian and d- developed here, and of course we'll see in, in Fabric where <laughs> it's like a it's all a crescendo to this moment where. You, the 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 film and the viewer and maybe even the cast and director they can't take it anymore and the film just collapses in on itself yeah. mm-hmm. like that kind of thing which I I always love and I'm really starting to love with his stuff um, but oh, as for what I would want to watch again immediately and this is how I usually judge my favorites mm-hmm. like how I pick favorites is what do I what would I want to sit through again right now and I would still pick. Uh, barbarian over this nice but oh but again (laughs) don't get me wrong don't get me wrong like this movie is freaking tight um and it is something else i mean even i would i would say the meanest thing i could say about this movie like is that it does wear me down a little bit Mm -hmm. i could i could use a a five or ten minutes trimmed off Mm mm-hmm um, and but also that was note taking, so you know that never it makes a film better when you're trying <laughs> yeah, to write shit down. Uh, but yeah, this I wouldn't ch- I wouldn't take anything out. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to sit there like, well, excuse me, Mr. Strickland, but um, I'm actually your post 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 editor, and I'm going to clean this shit up because it is too long. No, not that guy. But you know, honestly, it's just, this movie uh, it feels like a journey, just like the next movie. It feels like you're on this journey with him. And when it's over, you're fucking exhausted. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I still, I still think this is a better movie. But I think for my personal taste, I would still go for the Berber 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 Sound Studio. I am over the moon with it because this is the first time doing one of these opera omnias that 
the, the hosts have diverged off, which is the kind of point. I don't, like, I really want, I don't want us to like, like always be 100% in step with these things, uh, which means that there's only one opportunity for Peter Strickland to reunite us and get us back <laughs> on the same foot, and that is in the last movie of this season on the last episode which you will not have to wait that long for ladies and gents it is coming in a mere two weeks time when we turn our attention to his last movie to date I mean he's he's put out a short and I believe he's got stuff in the pipeline I'll be very surprised if he, he doesn't have something out relatively soon uh, he does like to take a couple of years in between projects so uh, we'll be looking at In Fabric now Richard I know that we are doubling these up, so you're going to have to do this twice. But you, uh, <laughs> you have things. People can check out those things. People can listen to you do things. Um, yeah. Let the listeners out there know where they can check out the things that you do and listen to your voice. Uh, hello, this is the Doomed Show. Is my show with my buddies Brad, Jeffrey, and Simon, and we do our thing over at Hello Doomed Show. And you can always get that on legionpodcast.com. And uh, yeah, I wrote, I wrote some books. Mm-hmm. I got uh, uh, Doomed Movie-Thon is my book where I just watch too many movies in a row and destroy my brain. And yes, there's a Jess Franco Movie-Thon in that. I also wrote a book. It took my blog because it was so beautiful. The world was like, Mr. Schmidt, please. <laughs> Put your freaking blogging words in a book. No one, no one wanted me to do that, <laughs> but I wanted it, so I did it. And I took where uh, I watched fifty-five Jess Franco movies. I tried to do it weekly, mm-hmm. but I eventually snapped and, and spread it out over several years. So in Cinema Sonambulist, in that book, there's a huge chapter of just me reviewing Jess Franco movies, and you can find my my weird neutered thoughts about sex. It's pretty great. Uh, and also I wrote a book about Giallo movies called Giallo Meltdown, mm-hmm. a movie-thon diary. And that's all about me, again, destroying my brain with watching too many films in a weekend and not really writing about them properly. But just, it happened. So who cares? And those are all available at Amazon.com, by the way. In case you wanted to support the Amazon during this trying time for them. They're really struggling. They're hurting for certain, like Tim Burton, as uh, Vanilla Ice would say. (laughs) I think I say that every time I'm on your show. Maybe I'll I'll start saying it every time. It makes me happy every time I hear it. Uh, Right. We're going to take... We're going to say goodbye to you, uh, but realistically, we're going to hit record again. (laughs) We're going to talk about In Fabric. So we don't have to wait long. And to be honest, you don't have to wait a month either. I'll be here in two weeks' time. Thank you very much for checking out Opera Omnia. Uh, We will speak to you all next time. Finastrid. Keep that.